Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of China Doll Gibson. Home for Mardi Gras. Saturday, February 25th, 2017. New Orleans. Louisiana. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to might contain audio evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. The recent murders of three transgender women in Louisiana are not linked, but their deaths are part of a disturbing trend. Don Champion looked into this. The fear is real in New Orleans for trans women like Amani Dupree. I've been fighting, but not like this before. Last month, Dupree's close friend, China Gibson, and Sierra Micklevee were murdered within days of each other. A week earlier, Jaquarius Holland was killed in another Louisiana town. All of the victims, trans women of color. What scares me the most is that people will feel like they can get away with these things and nothing will be done about it. While the three murders here in Louisiana aren't connected, they highlight an alarming trend. Seven trans women have been killed nationwide already this year. Last year, a record 23 were killed, the majority black and Latino women. Beverly Tillery at the New York City Anti-Violence Project tracks these cases and feels the political climate, including bathroom bills, are making the trans community less safe. When you can't be valued for simply who you are, um, then that sets up a situation where people feel like they can do anything to you. Tillery says discrimination often leaves trans women of color without jobs and living in dangerous neighborhoods. Many states, including Louisiana, don't even protect trans people under hate crime laws. Dupree, who works as a professional makeup artist, mentors young people in a community trying to find its voice. How many more people have to be killed before something is done about it? Dupree says they are tired. Won't give up their right to live as who they are. Don Champion, CBS News, New Orleans. It's Saturday, February 25th, 2017, in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana. It would be the home where 31 year old African American transgender female, China Doll Dupree Gibson, was visiting from her new home in Sacramento, California. It was around 8.30 p.m. 
Central Standard Time over at the 4300 Downman Road block. Ten gunshots ring out and as looker honors and witnesses come close to the fallen individual, they discover a beautiful woman slumped in between two vehicles over in the Bella Plaza. It appears she had just came from a store and was heading back to her vehicle when all of a sudden someone approached her, maybe more than one individual, and shot her multiple times, leaving the victim, China Doll Debris Gibson, clinging to life. As witnesses approach China Doll Gibson, they notify 911. Sergeant Frank Robertson arrives to the scene. As he arrives to the scene, the emergency personnel have now placed China Doll Gibson's body into the ambulance, taking her over to the New Orleans Parish Hospital. It was around 9.30 p.m., just one hour after the shooting, when China Doll Dupree Gibson officially lost her life and succumbed to her injuries. The 10 gunshots proved to be too fatal and too traumatic for the beautiful 31-year-old African-American transgender female. Welcome, my audience, to Season 4, Episode 9 of A Hateful Homicide, The Murder of China Doll Gibson, Home for Mardi Gras. This case, my audience, grappled me in so many ways. Not only as a fellow Southerner myself, China Doll Gibson also, like myself, relocated over to the California area. As someone who, too, is part of the trans experience and live my truth, China's story, her truth captivated me, not only for her beauty inside and out, but for her incredible performances. China Doll Gibson was also an incredible, renowned drag artist. And as we heard in season four, episode eight of A Hateful Homicide with Natalia Smooth Lopez, we know all too well that the drag community oftentimes do identify as trans. And China Doll Gibson was no exception. She boldly and proudly identified as a beautiful black trans woman who was professionally working as a drag artist. She had toured across the world and even locally within the United States, which brought her over to the state of California. There she continued to thrive and rise my audience and became a huge hit. And in 2017, as the year was beginning, just nine days after Valentine's Day, this beautiful black trans woman as she was leaving from a store as she was preparing to shop for the Mardi Gras night was brutally shot over 10 times and then ultimately succumbed to her injuries at 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. As Sergeant Frank Robertson is on the scene, he's collecting the bullet casings over in the Bella Plaza and he immediately starts reaching out to the witnesses. From what the witnesses describe, which was a collective of four to five people, they saw, again, the stunning, beautiful black trans woman walking out of the plaza towards her vehicle. And then all of a sudden, an individual in a dark colored hoodie and a face mask came up behind China and opened fire. She stood no chance. She was caught off guard, defenseless, and now on the ground. And then the shooter ran off. Sergeant Frank Robertson, my audience, was questioning the purpose, the motive behind this hateful homicide. 
This beautiful, incredible artist was home from Sacramento, her new home, visiting for Mardi Gras, celebrating with her chosen and biological family, when all of a sudden she was shot over 10 times. Sergeant Frank Robertson, a veteran um, sergeant with the New Orleans Police Department, felt in his spirit that this was personal, that someone knew that China, Doll Dupree Gibson, was coming home from Mardi Gras, followed her, basically tracked her vehicle, and then ultimately shot her and killing her. As he's interviewing the witnesses, another sergeant by the name of Tamika Helms goes over to the family home that China Doll Dupree Gibson shared once with her family. They get the knock on the door. China's mom goes to the door and gets the devastating news from Sergeant Tamika Hems that her 31-year-old daughter, who was just home for only three days when this occurred, has now been met with a hateful homicide. The Gibson family was completely beside and beside themselves and was questioning exactly who would want to commit this hateful homicide to China. Described as bubbly, outgoing, and loving, this shooting came completely out of nowhere. On this Saturday, February 25th of 2017, it was officially confirmed that China Doll Dupree Gibson was the fifth fatality of the trans experience in the city of New Orleans. Unfortunately, as we know far too often in our southern states, as they are progressing to become more progressive and liberal, there's still a lot of work to be done. And as we continue to go through this case, my audience, not only are we going to hear evidence about the history of Mardi Gras, which is very important to understand the culture out there in Louisiana and other areas, but it's also important to hear about how after this hateful homicide occurred on February 25th of 2017, that the community of New Orleans, Louisiana was determined to advocate and seek justice, not only for China Doll Dupree Gibson, who was shot, but then also Sierra McGavin. She was a beautiful 25-year-old trans woman who, too, was stabbed. Um, and again, as we go through this case, there is a potential linkage to a black Chevy vehicle with two suspects potentially linked to that vehicle. And this car could be linked to not only China's hateful homicide, but also that of Sierra. As Detective Tamika Helms is questioning China's family, she learns that China did have some dating relationships in her life, and like a lot of us, sometimes they come with complications. China, who was known for being outspoken and very proud of who she was, um, definitely dealt with relationships that sometimes wasn't the most affirming and also wasn't the most visible. And so she found herself in some instances of breaking off those relationships and of course with any intimate partner violence and or domestic violence situation there's always that chance that that could have been the case as we continue to go through this case as well my audience we're going to hear from an incredible drag queen who actually still lives in new orleans and um, was acquainted with china and sierra by the name of queen Leroy. she professionally gives tours and it's important for us to also understand how the drag community in new orleans is treated with that being said, it's also important that we hear from commentator Walter Lee Hampton II. He is a black queer man, and he too felt the need to speak out about the hateful homicide of China Gibson and also raise awareness around the lack of support that even within our own black communities that we don't receive, and sometimes even within our own black queer communities. He unpacks that a little bit. 
And then also my audience, we're going to take a listen to some challenges that some other southern states have been facing um, regarding anti-drag bills. The anti-drag bills, we'll talk about a little bit more, but just to give you a little insight and more context, these are bills that are ultimately affecting our communities of the drag artistry from banned from performing. Um, it is considered outlawed illegal at this point, and we have our community members out there in the southern areas and regions advocating for this anti-drag bill to be repelled. And also with this being said, it's important to understand how this affects the livelihoods of our communities, not only of the trans experience because they also can be drag artists, but also for our cis queer community too who performs in our NB community. And then lastly, we will hear um, an incredible performance from the one and only China Hall Dupree Gibson. And you will just hear how the audience just lives for her incredible performances and just her beautiful sequences and hear her. So, without further ado, my audience, let's get further into it. As we go into this case, I want to take a moment and talk about the city of New Orleans, Louisiana. It's not the capital, actually Baton Rouge is, but it sits as one of the heart meccas and one of the most popular cities in the United States, reaching over 10 million tourists each year. The city of New Orleans has proved to be popular, from Canal Street to Bourbon Street, community members alike of the cis, queer, and trans queer experiences have all connected on Bourbon Street and on Canal Street. And they all collectively come together during the time of Mardi Gras. And as we're gonna hear from Arthur Hardy, an incredible Mardi Gras enthusiast and tourist, he's gonna give us a little bit of the history of Mardi Gras in New Orleans, Louisiana. Marty here on the parade route wanting to share some history with you. You know, as long as anybody can remember, Mardi Gras parades traveled St. Charles Avenue and Canal Street, but did you know just about a half a block away is where the whole thing got started? At this building at 127 Royal in 1857, a meeting was held that actually gave birth to Mardi Gras as we know it. Men met here and formed the Mystic Crew of Comus, the very first carnival organization. They gave us the word crew, First Secret Society had a wonderful parade, a ball. Everything that we have in Mardi Gras today started right here in this building. I think it should be a national monument. When I couldn't make that happen, with the owner's permission, we erected this plaque about 20 years ago. It's kind of beat up, and so is the building. But really, a very important page in American history was written right here. The building was constructed in 1837, and by 1847, it had become the gem coffee house and then a saloon. And of course, it was at that meeting above the gem that these 19 men got together and started the Mr. Crew of Comus. Now, the first parades were not in the French Quarter. They were in the American sector, the other side of Canal Street. But later on, as parades grew, they were throughout the city, and almost every one of the parades went through the French Quarter until the parades and the floats got so big it was no longer safe for them to be in the French Quarter. 1973, they were banned, and now we pretty much have one standardized route, and everybody wants to parade on St. Charles Avenue and on Canal Street. Now, Mardi Gras existed before the birth of Comus, and actually it consisted of just people walking around in masks, having a good time. But by the 1850s, it got violent, and the press called for an end of the celebration. Had it not been for the men who founded Comus in the building at 127 Royal, 
it surely would have died and we would have none of the celebration we have today. Now, parades in the 19th century looked nothing like what we see today. You had a very literate public, and the themes uh, dealt with literature and mythology. In fact, most of the crews in the early days, and many today, still are named after characters from mythology. Uh, today, there's a lot of emphasis on throws that you catch in the floats, but really, there's still some tremendous artistry and creativity in float designs. There's no theme for Mardi Gras, but this, each parade has its own theme and the older and larger crews, the ones with the big budgets, have some outstanding artistry on display. And it's really a shame people don't take their time to look at the parade and not just worry about what they're going to catch. A lot's changed since that single parade in 1857, but one thing that hasn't is the tremendous crowds and enthusiasm of people that come to see Mardi Gras, whether they're from out of town or locals. As you can see, this scene from the 1907 Rex Parade a lot of people, even back then, came to see Mardi Gras. And as you can hear my audience, the history, the culture of Mardi Gras stem from these incredible individuals who wanted to create a space of creativity, uniqueness, and identity. And that was exactly what China Doll Dupree Gibson embodied. And it was on that Saturday, February 25th of 2017, around 8.30 p.m. at the Bella Plaza over on 4300 Downman Road, again, when China Doll Dupree Gibson was fatally shot more than 10 times and left to bleed to death between two vehicles. Detective Tamika Hems, after she informed China Doll Dupree Gibson's family, she also connected with some of her friends, such as Daphne Dupree, and Mariah Moore, and also Sirius Sinclair. She wanted to understand exactly, um, the, again, more of the interpersonal relationships that China had, especially when it came to dating relationships. Her friends admitted that though China was very popular, that does sometimes come with conflict. Being someone who was booked a lot and was getting a lot of gigs and opportunities, it did create some sort of tension within the drag community. There was this sense of feeling like China was getting special privileges, which wasn't the case at all. But nonetheless, this did create a source of uncomfortableness for China, not only in New Orleans, but even as she toured. She stated once that, you know, being a black trans woman in the drag community, it comes with its obstacles. Not only did she feel like she had to work twice as hard to be visible, but then also to be recognized as a worthy artist, facing not only conflict within the own trans community for her visibility, but then also from this queer community, especially those who were also drag artists, often felt at times that individuals who were, especially in gender affirming journeys, right? Like, so China had gender affirming surgeries. And so some members of the drag community felt like she had an advantage, right? Because they would use breastplates or other like um, shaped items to give them that contour look. And because China had had that surgically, right? And then didn't have to necessarily utilize all those other garments. There was this sometimes sense of jealousy, tension, and so her friends talked about that a little bit. They did also open up about um, a couple of relationships that Trina had. Um, one had just recently formed in Sacramento, um, and his name was Steve O'Reilly. And then also back in New Orleans, she still had a friend that she had been 
going for a few years and they kind of had this on and off again entanglement and his name was Jakari Brooks and he too was a 31 year old cisgender black man. The two had known each other since around 2012 and had seemed to just, you know, connect for the next five years up until her hateful homicide on that February 25th of 2017. Detective Tamika Helms made note of all of the information regarding the interpersonal relationships and then went back and connected with Sergeant Frank Robertson, who had at this point taken several of the witnesses back to the New Orleans Police Department, where they continued to discuss and reveal like other things. So, for example, they had uh, one witness said that she had been sitting in her vehicle at the plaza for about an hour. She was um, with her boyfriend, and they just kind of wanted like some time away and so they were like over at the plaza they had just finished shopping and then they were talking when they first spotted china going into the plaza they noticed when she went into the plaza that um it seemed like that there was a, a black vehicle um, two-door sedan that was kind of circling the bella plaza parking lot this did make them notice the vehicle but because they were focused on their own relationship they just kind of didn't you know pay it too much um, uh, mind However, just about an hour later, they were still in the parking lot and China was coming back out. This was around 8.28 p.m. And that's when they did see that car park and then immediately get out, run over to um, where China was. The individual got out of the vehicle in a black or dark color hoodie. And then that's when they came up behind China and shot her multiple times. This is what was conveyed to Sergeant Frank Robertson at the New Orleans Police Department. And then once Sergeant Tamika Helms got there, they both kind of debriefed and um, shared their notes. So one of the things that they wanted to do was first interview Jakari Brooks. Um, it was revealed that when she was visiting home from Mardi Gras from Sacramento that she had touched base with Jakari, right? They had this five-year um, five-year relationship and I and that made her feel sort of connected to him. Her friend Daphne didn't mention that when China met up with Jakari, that she was pretty much, China was pretty much at a place where she was kind of over it. She had met Steve in Sacramento and he was proven to be a little bit more affirming, right? He was willing to take her out and be visible and, um, Jakari was not, and, and they did not do that during their entire time. And so when she connected with him around February 21st of 2017, she did make it clear that she was um, at least seeing someone else and that she wanted to just focus on that relationship and be in a space where she was going to be affirmed. It seemed like Jakari agreed and everything was fine, but at the same time, you know, detective and sergeant frank robertson had to go and ask him you know was he upset was he angry that china left him it was stated that when the two would argue especially when she lived in new orleans and they would argue about things such as when she went on tour you know there would be this level of jealousy but also they would argue about things such as when was she going to meet his family when was gonna meet her family and because those things never seemed to align um, for five years that ultimately led to her you know wanting a fresh start and once she started touring and 
realized that there was more opportunities. Like in California, she relocated a year before and was settling in Sacramento. And that is where, just three months before her hateful homicide, she met Steve O'Reilly. So as Sergeant Frank Hems has now contacted Jakari Brooks, and he has now been brought down to the New Orleans Police Department, he asked the tough questions. Um, he informs Jakari that China has passed away um, just a couple hours ago. It's now midnight, uh, around February 26th, that Sunday. And Jakari's in the interrogation room. Um, he's shocked, appears to be shocked. He's grieving. He told Sergeant Frank Robertson that, yeah, he saw China back on February 21st, and they talked, and they mutually decided to just be friends and stay friends. He stated that he was okay with the fact that they were no longer going to have an intimate relationship. He seemed to receive that and stated that he wasn't upset or angry that she had met someone else. He did admit that he um, did miss the fact that she wasn't in New Orleans anymore and that he didn't get to see her as much, but he was happy for her continued growth and success. Sergeant Frank Robertson was also able to corroborate Jakari's alibi. He was actually with another woman at the time on February 25th. And so, um, and surveillance, CCTV footage confirmed that. And he was ultimately released and officially cleared as a person of interest or potential suspect. However, there again was that car. And just several days after the hateful homicide of China Gibson, Sierra McLevin was brutally stabbed outside of a Cajun seafood market. And the witnesses in that accident and attack noticed a similar vehicle. And Sergeant Detective Tamika Hems worked solely more on that case and supported Frank Robertson on the China Gibson case. But they compared, again, additional notes on the make and the model of a car. It was a two-door black color sedan, not only that was spotted at the Bella Plaza on the 25th, but then also on the 28th of February at the Cajun Seafood Market. They wanted to see if there was any CCTV footage around the Bella Plaza that could ultimately give them a license plate. And unfortunately, the CCTV footage at the Bella Plaza was very grainy, and even with the most advanced editorial technology, it still was not enough for them to make out the license plate. They were able to determine that it appeared to be like a black Chevrolet Impala, um, excuse me, black Chevrolet Camaro, and that was a two-door vehicle. Sergeant Frank Robertson began to go through the DMV records and see if there was any cars that were registered. Um, because it was still hard to decipher the year, um, the witnesses said that the car did look like a newer model, so they averaged it around between 2011 and 2018. When he did his DMV search, he realized that there was quite a few cars um, registered in New Orleans, um, and he had to narrow it down. Based on, and he did this based on the proximity of the plaza, where China was, um, and so he started there first, and there were several cars that had been registered in New Orleans that resided over near the Dorman Road area, and so they weren't sure, again, was this someone that she knew? who attacked her and committed the hateful homicide? Was it someone who saw her, uh, maybe recognized that she was a trans woman and circled around? They weren't sure if this was a hate crime. And because of that, her family and friends 
know, wanted to know exactly if this case was a hate crime because of her gender identity and or because of her profession. So as Sergeant Frank Robertson is looking into these cars and he has now brought in especially specifically two people of interest. Um, their cars seem to kind of match more of the surveillance footage. And so he um, brought them in and um, had a conversation with them. And we can hear a little bit more about the experience of how Sergeant Frank Robertson um, was able to bring in two people of interest. just after she was honored at a candlelight vigil. WDSU's Jennifer Crockett live now at Armstrong Park. Jen? Well, hundreds turned out for tonight's vigil to remember China Gibson and also to embrace hopes for what's next in this community. So to China, to God, I say thank you for letting her pass my way, our way, because she touched all our lives. A light that shined on stage and off. China Gibson, best known as China Doll Dupree, remembered as a beacon among women of color who identify as transgender. Let China smile every time an act of kindness is done among us. And the us she's talking about goes beyond the LGBT community as China's vigil hoped to inspire new bonds. I stand here as a trans woman of color, not accepted, not looking for your acceptance, not looking for your approval, but I am demanding my respect. Respect as a human being, respect as a God-given person, and respect as my mother's daughter. The vigil organized after China was found shot to death moments after leaving a store in New Orleans East Saturday night. Her body left in the parking lot the person responsible, unidentified. New Orleans police expressing renewed commitment to catch her killer. You're going to see one day, pretty soon, when we get on the TV and put these cowards and make them famous. More cases unsolved as two more transgender women killed in Louisiana this year were remembered as well. Know that we have lost a light. We have lost three lights in Louisiana. China Gibson, Sierra McElvin, and Jaquarius Holland. Let's do everything we can not to lose another night. Take a look at those pictures again. The NOPD thinks these people might have information on China Gibson's homicide. Sierra McElvin was also killed here in New Orleans. She was found stabbed to death, death Monday on Columbus. Take a look at this car. Police want to talk to the driver who they say is a person of interest. Jaquarius Holland was shot and killed February 19th in Monroe. Sergeant Frank Robertson and Detective Tamika Hams was by the name of Julius Casper and Tyree McAllister. The two individuals were brought in and questioned and both owned um, two-door black Chevrolet Camaros. They also, you know, looked into the person's interest phones and see if they had any connection to China Doll Dupree Gibson and the forensics team 
um, was able to determine that there was no connection from any dating apps or social media platforms. Um, they even tried to check and see if there was any burner phones. They did also track China's phone and saw that she was she didn't really communicate with anyone other than like her family and friends while she was in New Orleans and also communicating with her um, partner back in Sacramento. And so again, they seem like that these two persons of interest were not going to be um, tied to the hateful homicide of China Dahl to Pretty Gibson. They did also still want to know if these two individuals, again, Julius Casper and Tyree McAllister, were ultimately connected to the hateful homicide of Sierra McLevin. And ultimately, they were able to rule both of these individuals out. That did not mean that Sergeant Frank Robertson was not going to continue to do the work and figure out who committed this hateful homicide. Detective Tamika Hands went over to the New Orleans Parish Coroner's Office to ultimately get the autopsy and to know 
know that they were firm and severe. And so what you could hear my audience at that uh, march and rally was Mayor Latoya Cantrell at the time holding and raising that transgender pride flag high over the city hall um, in New Orleans, Louisiana. And her message was loud and clear, right? Love is love and we all deserve to be treated fairly. Also, my audience, it's important for us to hear from other members who live in New Orleans, right, and who are doing the work out there, not only as activists and um, just community leaders, but also those who do perform in the drag community. And so what we're going to hear now is from Quinn Leroy. She's an incredible uh, drag performer and also does a lot of things around Mardi Gras. She's known for giving professional tours, and she had also worked um, a little bit with China Doll Dupree Gibson um, along in some of the club circuits in New Orleans. So um, it's important for us to understand just kind of what our community members in the city of New Orleans, even though, yes, as we heard from the mayor, that there are efforts to be affirming, but also just to hear from a community member's experience in the city. Queer history walking tour led by a drag queen, I'm pretty sure in the entire U.S. South. So if you want to react to history, if you want to say something, you can feel free to do so. I went to school at the University of Tennessee. I was a theater major, but I gave up on that. I took a lot of history classes. I really fell in love with it when I took a queer history class. Right after school, I kind of started trying to do nonprofit things and ended up in New Orleans. After like a few years of doing that, I took a thing called the, the New Orleans Drag Workshop about three years ago. From the first performance, I really fell in love with it as an art form. Nola Drag Tours is my personal uh, company. It's a tour that covers uh, the history of, I like to say, queer people and loose women because there's not really a better word for it. It's essentially a, a sex history, but it's specifically focused on uh, forms of nightlife uh, in the city. This was actually a holy space before it was Congo Square. I came here and did what was called bambula dancing, and they had drum circles. They were actually able to keep African beats alive. I've been pretty embraced by the city. I think it's been just overwhelmingly positive from the residents. And over here, the building is now known as the Feeds Blacksmith Shop. So this is the oldest gay bar in the United States. <laughs> and it's founded in this era because this is when we decided to invent gay men as a culture. I would not do this tour if it wasn't in a city like New Orleans where people have just seen so many weird things. The worst thing I'll get from someone from New Orleans is either like a positive cat call or it's not Mardi Gras anymore. It really hurt at first just to have to deal with that level of harassment I was actually getting, but then I had someone tell me, you know, that's a part of the tour. Like when you go out there and people say stuff like that to you, that's what your life is like. And that's what people who aren't like you actually need to see. When people harass me, it just honestly makes me a lot more powerful, and it just gives what I'm saying a lot more credibility, because I'm talking about what we're facing as a community and what we faced back then. I'm a trans woman who also identifies as a drag queen. I've known from a very, for a very long time that I didn't identify with man, with he. 
being trans, it's surprising, shockingly, it's hard. I feel like a woman right now. Like that's, and that's how I feel like people treat me too. When it comes to uh, whether people in the, the queer community broader, queer and trans people accept people who are both queens and trans, I think people have are complicated about it. I think um, drag queens make a lot of trans women really uncomfortable because a lot of the work that a lot of queens do is, I'll be honest, a little misogynistic. It's making fun of women and just making a joke about what's essentially trans identity. So I understand what makes people so uncomfortable, but it's also an art form. People are saying that drag queens are not trans people, which just in my experience isn't true. Drag people are and have always been all different backgrounds of people. Drag is performance and trans is who you are, like how you feel. Queen LaRue, our last performer, she does a drag tour of the French Quarter. myself as a conceptual comedy queen uh, more than anything. One of the things that I pride myself on doing is tackling topics that are really important to me. From that moment on, I was like, in drag, when I'm on these tours, when I'm on these streets, if they're going to talk about me no matter what I'm wearing, let's give them something to f***ing talk about. Performing is just so freeing to be able to do just literally anything from going on the street and when you're when I'm on stage like everyone who's looking at me is looking at me for the right reasons where am I really I shine is on stage I think um, I think it's really made me the person I am now I was touring uh, just like everybody else and then people started saying oh there's this uh, giant pandemic that's coming I had to shut down the tour of course I shut it down as soon as I realized it was a really serious issue the city of New Orleans uh, was impacted by the pandemic it hit really hard in ways that hurt a lot of us. We lost so much culture, uh, cultural icons, and just that historical memory, especially within our local Black community. We had the pandemic, and then now we have uh, a mass social movement here, which has been really uh, incredible to see how much communities really come out and support, especially Black Lives Matter. And that's been mostly what I've been doing my time, is figuring out what I can do for that side of uh, the movement. As far as how the Black Lives Matter movement is going to affect how I do my tours, I think that it's primarily it's changing the way that I'm approaching my energy in general as far as my activism. Uh, in the, the before times, that I like to call it, I really saw the tour as like this really vital, important activism, and it is. That's really important history work. Uh, but I also know that the work that I really need to be doing as far as how much history knowledge I have, I do need to be pushing that further if I really want it to be useful in the way that I know that it can be. When we talk about the history of uh, civil rights and uh, blackness in New Orleans, a lot of people forget that we actually had a first civil rights movement here in the city, mostly led by people who were free people of color. As far as drag, I really miss just uh, the response from the audience. A lot of people try to do online drag. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I'll feel comfortable getting back on stage when the world is at some level of peace. Would... She can hear my audience. Queen Leroy just wants peace. She stated that she was from Tennessee. And like the city and state of Louisiana, the state of Tennessee is the first of many to officially enact its anti-drag bills. Queen Leroy, when she found this out, very much was outspoken and a proponent for this. It's important for us to understand as well that 
One of the reasons why Quinn Leroy, who identifies as um, a non-person of color in the trans community, was so active with the Black Lives Matter was because of friends like Sierra McLevin and China Doll Gibson. Right now, only do we think of our cis black community members who have been murdered, but then also she was tying that into our black trans community members too and how their lives matter. And so I really wanted to just take a moment and give kudos, but as you can hear, it is challenging in New Orleans, even though it is somewhat affirming. But now, even with the pandemic that has occurred for almost three years, now with this anti-drag bill, not only have individuals like Quinn Leroy been reduced to not performing in clubs because of quarantining and the pandemic, but now with the anti-drag bill, they're basically going to be at risk for not being able to perform at all. And what's important for us to understand is when we think of the history of our community, especially stemming back in 1869 with Stonewall and how we have to recall that it was outlawed for individuals to be in drag or feminine expressive. And so they were targeted, arrested. And this is pretty much what it is saying right now in 2023 with this anti-drag bill is that if they are caught performing, um, they will be arrested. And while clubs, right? Our queer clubs are still open, but this is also affecting their businesses too, because part of their revenue is drag performances. And then also we have to remind this, again, like Quinn said, Daphne and so many other Syria, they are trans folks. And so when we get into these spaces, right? So if you have these anti-trans bills, like we talked about in other episodes, and now anti-drag bills, not only are you reducing community members' identity, but now you're also reducing their livelihood. And so many times, a lot of our community members have to turn to survival sex work. And for those who don't, right, like cases like Natalia Smut-Lopez or also China Doll Dupree Gibson, this is their livelihood. This is their income. And while the anti-drag bills are state by state, it still is trending and even at risk of going to places like Louisiana. But let's take a moment, my audience, and hear about exactly in this moment how anti-drag bills are starting to affect areas in the South and ultimately how this can affect our community members, not only of color and queer experiences, but those also of the trans experience. We've been keeping an eye on in the latest fight Yet another fight, you could say, considering the conversation we just had in the culture wars in America, relates to drag shows. Across the country, we're seeing lawmakers propose restrictions on these kinds of shows. And at the same time, they're being targeted more and more often by far-right groups. These events, just this year, at least 124 drag events faced anti-LGBTQ protests or significant threats, according to GLAAD, an advocacy group. And the LGBTQ plus community, not backing down. NBC's Kathy Park takes us to Tennessee or some are getting ready to fight back. Veronica Electronica's 21 and Up weekend brunch show is a staple of Nashville's drag scene. But today, the show stops for an announcement. We want to make drag performances illegal if it's in the public view. So right now, if that law passes, I would be committing a potential felony. 
Tennessee Republican, State Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson introduced Senate Bill 3. The intent of the legislation is just to simply say that you cannot have sexually explicit entertainment, adult-themed entertainment, in a public venue where kids might be present. The LGBTQ plus community have come out saying, look, um, it targets our community. How, how do you respond to that? Well, I disagree. We're protecting kids and families and parents who want to be able to take their kids to, to public places. We're not attacking anyone or targeting anyone. Uh, I've heard references to this bill that it will ban drag shows. Well, no, it won't. It just says you can't do something that's sexually explicit. It won't prevent someone dressed in drag from being in a parade or being in public. But Veronica and LGBTQ advocates worry this legislation could create misconceptions that drag is inherently sexual. I don't know who will be the drag police um, to judge whether my performance was adult-oriented. What does it mean when someone who is dancing shakes their hips? Cheerleaders clearly do it. Dance teams clearly do it. If a drag queen does it, does that suddenly make it sexual? Bianca Del Rio, love that dress. The audience for drag is growing. Drag Story Hour, a nonprofit that holds book readings for kids with drag hosts, went from one chapter in 2015 to 45 in the U.S. today. <laughs> interest in drag comes amid Republican lawmakers in at least five states considering bills to limit drag when children are present. Earlier this month, far-right groups, including the Proud Boys and some armed members, shut down an Ohio drag story time. Tennessee has seen six events targeted, plus swirling outrage online over videos like this one showing what appears to be children handing dollar bills to a drag performer. There have been news reports about some of these, these events taking place where parents are there with their kids and they were mortified. That's who reached out to me and some of my colleagues and led us to pursue this legislation. For Veronica, outrage like this shows a misunderstanding of drag culture. She says tipping is not sexual. We tip our servers, we tip our bartenders, we tip our hairstylists, and we tip our drag queens. It's just a gesture of appreciation. Senator Johnson plans to move quickly on the bill after the new year. As a parent, you know, it's something that I worry about all the time, you know, what my kids are being exposed to. Now Veronica and her fellow drag queens are ramping up for the political fight of their lives on and off the stage. Kathy Park, NBC News, Nashville. And as you can hear my audience, there is quite the fight over in Tennessee. Senator is definitely quite causing quite the stir. And individuals like Veronica and Chachi and all of those who are out there in Tennessee doing the work and even, even in Louisiana, like Quinn LaVoy, who's from Tennessee, are all raising awareness and making sure not only does this impact, not the impact, the community in Tennessee, but also that it doesn't continue to spread. And as you heard, you could hear that it was already happening in places like Ohio and Arizona. So it definitely is um, making its way across the coast. And with that being said, my audience, I wanted to take a moment and circle back in to the hateful homicide of China Doll Dupree Gibson. China Doll Dupree Gibson is officially to rest on March 5th of 2017. She's laid to rest in New Orleans, where she came back to visit home for Mardi Gras. 
the beautiful 31-year-old African-American transgender female who was an incredible drag artist and now residing in Sacramento, California, was abruptly gunned down around 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time over on the 4300 Downman Road Plaza area, known as Bella Plaza. Unfortunately, China succumbed to her injuries just an hour later over at the New Orleans um, Hospital. And this then left the community shocked, saddened, and seeking justice for years to come. My audience, this hateful homicide not only impacted and affected our trans community and our non-binary community and intersex and two-spirit communities, but it also affected our cisgendered queer men or cisgendered gay men, especially those of the black experience. One person in particular, Walter Lee Hampton II. He felt very grappled and pulled to the hateful homicide of China doll, Dupree Gibson, and had posted her photo after she was laid to rest on March 5th of 2017. He shared her story to give the beautiful victim a voice and also shared her photo of her um, laying beautifully in her casket. This caused quite the uproar for him. And as a result, William Lee Hampton II, an incredible black queer man, felt the need to speak up and speak out regarding the bigotry and ignorance that not only do our cisgendered heterosexual community sometimes display upon us, but even our cisgendered queer community. And as you could hear from Quinn Leroy earlier, when she spoke about her own experience as a trans woman and a drag artist in New Orleans, that there is quite the misogyny. And so we are going to hear a little bit more about that from a cisgendered queer guy's perspective by the name of William Lee Hampton II. But again, my audience, China Doll Dupree Gibson is laid to rest on March 5th, and her family and friends, again, are continuously reaching out to Sergeant Frank Robertson and Detective Tamika Helms to see if there has been any updates. Her family was not the only one. Again, because Sierra McLevin was um, brutally murdered just a few days after China Doll Dupree Gibson, her family as well was going down to the New Orleans Parish Police Department to ask questions to see the status of those two persons of interest. Has there been any updates on locating the car? And unfortunately, Sergeant Frank Robertson and Detective Tamika Hems did not have any good news. They didn't have an update on the progress of the hateful homicide because unfortunately the case had became at a standstill. As we know my audience far too often, our community, when these hateful homicides occur, we are not covered in the mainstream media. And with that being said, it left China's family not only feeling very siloed and othered, but it also made them feel like that China's voice didn't matter. She was beloved, she was cherished, she was someone's daughter. She was 31 with a life full ahead of her. In February of 2017, not only had she just celebrated her first Valentine's Day with her new partner, Stephen O'Reilly, back in Sacramento, but she had also, you know, was looking forward to other gender affirming surgeries for 2017. She was looking forward to even like Natalia Smut Lopez in our season four episode eight episode was looking forward to doing things like auditioning for RuPaul's Drag Race. That was one of the reasons also that motivated her to move to California, specifically Sacramento. China was also really big on making sure that the community um, received equity 
and so move into Sacramento as well, the capital of California, where a lot of legislation is happening. She wanted to be part of that action. Born in 1985, she was completely just, as her mom would say, a bundle of joy bubbly, laughing out loud, and could walk by the age of nine months. China Doll Dupree Gibson was definitely that child that stood out. Described as a sensitive soul with a love of creativity and uniqueness, she completely captivated her community of New Orleans. Ironically, when she began her gender journey as a teenager back around 2001, at the age of 16, she was met very um, with a lot of support, not only within her own biological family, but even within the city of New Orleans. She was also really big on advocacy in New Orleans, and so she connected with individuals like friends who were also activists and advocates like Mariah Moore and Sirius Sinclair and Daphne Dupree, and they all were really pivotal um, from like 2001 until even 2017, before her hateful homicide occurred on raising awareness around the community on raising awareness around the inequities that the trans community face and even the struggles from unemployment to lack of housing and oftentimes even being jailed um, for those things right so for example China and and, and her friends, they did survival sex work. They sometimes had to take food um, just to survive. And so unfortunately, um, these things were banned and outlawed and it left them feeling very hopeless and helpless. And that was one of the reasons that they got into advocacy work. And it's really um, her advocacy platform as a trans youth turning into a trans adult. She again also started to advocate within the drag artistry community. Knowing that she was a black trans woman, and again, like Quinn LaVroy, who was a non-person of color, also spoke about the misogyny and the toxic masculinity within the drag culture, especially from her cis queer men, who, um, you know, weren't always affirming. This was really important for China to make sure that there was equalness and opportunity for anyone who identified as trans or non-binary or intersex or two-spirit to have the right and access to come into the drag community and perform and be received as, as anyone else would. She did that for the next 10 years before her hateful homicide and was again very well received. Mayor Latoya Control was really pivotal in connecting with China Doll Dupree Gibson as well. It was one of the reasons why China actually was um, was really honored at the Transgender March and Rally and a Transgender Pride flag held high because of her commitment to advocacy and activism. It really made her stand out. Her family, her siblings, her mom, and her incredible chosen family talked about just China's tenacity and her ability to persevere. Um, she graduated high school in 2003 and then was even taking up some cosmetology and beautician courses before ultimately pursuing drag. And she stated, like as you heard in the Crin LaRoy interview, that it brought her a sense of joy, peace, and happiness. That when she was on stage, she felt like herself. And as you will hear audience, my audience in just a moment, you'll hear exactly how China, um, you know, was really, really loved. We're going to hear from her performance. Um, uh, hear her performance, and you're going to hear just incredibly how she touched everyone uh, when she entered that stage. And to now know, you know, just five years, six years later after her hateful homicide, that there are now anti-drag bills that could potentially even affect 
not only at the time her livelihood, but now those who still perform, it's very heartaching. And again, kudos to our southern states and even uh, Midwest states who are starting to raise awareness, not only around anti-trans bills, but also anti-drag legislation. But I want to just take a moment and share just a little bit of a, a snippet of an interview from Walter Lee Hampton II, who felt the need as well. He was inspired by China Dalda-Priest's activism and advocacy. He too wanted to be an advocate for the community. 